Quat. I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Episode 45, War, Occupation and Liberation. The late 680s in Kent are another of those periods we've become quite familiar with during our study so far, a period of upheaval following on the heels of war. In this case, the war was fought between Kent and the Gawissa between 686 and 688. It began apparently when Cadwalla invaded Kent in 686 and saw the subjection of Kent until his abdication in 688. After this date though, Kent was further subjugated by its neighbours and did not truly regain independence until at least 692. No one alive at the time could have known it, but the period 686 to 692 was just a foretaste of the dynamics which would shape the rest of Kentish history. Why would Cadwalla invade Kent? As I've noted multiple times, Kent was historically a region which attracted wealth from the continent. Therefore, Kent, despite its relatively small size, was traditionally one of the wealthiest kingdoms of Anglo-Saxon England. This doubtless made it a tantalising prize for any king hungry for wealth, and as any look at old English literature should make clear, any king who wanted to remain a king needed wealth to distribute among his loyal followers. Thus, raiding, conquest and expansion were one aspect of an early English king's raison d'etre. Add to this the fact that Cadwalla rose as a warlord who happened to become king of the Gawissa, and it seems likely that he sought to take control of Kent so as to get a portion of its wealth. Cadwalla also seems to have hungered for a Gawissan overlordship south of the Thames, and this of course would require him to dominate Kent. That Cadwalla hoped to permanently bring Kent into a Gawissan sphere of influence is seen in the fact that he invaded the kingdom along with his brother Mull and that following their victory, he established Mull as a puppet king of Kent. In this campaign, Eadrich, who had only recently completed a successful coup against his uncle Hlothera, was killed. Our only evidence for Mull's reign comes from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Here, in two terse back-to-back -back entries, we are told only that Cadwalla and Mull invaded in 686, and that Mull, along with 12 other men, was burned to death in a Kentish revolt in 687, at which point Cadwalla again ravaged Kent. The implication is, of course, that Cadwalla's second invasion was a punitive one in response to the Kentish revolt. What he did after this is not stated in any sources. Possibly he assumed direct rule in Kent, and possibly he set up another puppet king. We don't fully know. Whatever he did, the situation did not last long, since in 688 he abdicated the throne of Gawissa and went on pilgrimage to Rome, where he died shortly after arriving. In Gawissa, the new king, Ina, was keen to establish order after the expansionism of Cadwalla, and one result of this was that he returned his focus to the Gawissan heartlands and the British territory to their west, thus leaving the southeast relatively free from interference. From the Kentish power vacuum, there arose two kings, thus reviving the old custom of dual monarchy, Swafherd and Oswina. Let us say something about these two, because their reigns and the memory of it recorded by men like Bede are a bit of a puzzle. Swafherd, who ruled in western Kent, was the son of Sabi, king of the East Saxons. This sudden rise of a member of the East Saxon royal family in Kent suggests either further political machinations in the southeast after Cadwalla's retirement, or the survival of the imperial system he established following his 688 invasion. 
There is evidence that Cadwalla had worked with bishops of the East Saxons in an attempt to build churches in Sussex, possibly indicating some Gawisson overlordship in Essex, but at the very least suggesting some alliance between Essex and Gawissa. It is possible, then, that he used some East Saxon support to cow the Kentish people during the War of 686-688. Swaffherd, then, may have been a client set up by Cadwalla in 688, or possibly the East Saxons seized the opportunity of Cadwalla's abdication to take control of Western Kent, a region that had historically been settled by Saxons rather than Jutes. Either way, the implication is that even following Cadwalla's leaving the scene of English politics, Kent still was not fully independent. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. 
I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy what I'm doing here, then it really helps me when you leave a review or a rating on the podcast provider you're using to listen to this, when you subscribe to the show's YouTube channel, or when you become a supporter over on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and transcripts by pledging to one of the show's patron tiers. And speaking of patrons, I wanted to give a shout-out to Elizabeth Springer, whose novel A Council of Wolves would be of interest to listeners of this show. It's a mystery set in 9th century England, which covers a lot of the history and the politics that we've discussed here. It's a great read, and I wholeheartedly recommend it. So, again, that's A Council of Wolves by Elizabeth Springer, if you're interested. But thank you, Elizabeth, so much for your support, and I hope you're enjoying the extra material that you now have access to. Anyway, back to the show. But what of Oswina? Unlike Swaffherd, he was Kentish and had some claim to royal blood. However, he was not a relative of Eadrich. Rather, in a charter he issued in 690, he claimed to be a close relative of Aormenred, the eldest son of Eadbald, and thus a descendant of a different royal line from the one that had produced Kent's last few kings. This would make Oswina a relative of the Mercian royal house. And this has been used by some scholars such as D.P. Kirby to suggest that he was put on the throne of Eastern Kent by Mercian intervention. There is no hard evidence for this, though, and indeed it would seem like an odd arrangement given that Essex under King Sebi had often been a rival of Mercia. It seems unlikely, then, that the two kingdoms would negotiate to partition Kent. Oswina then may represent a genuine revival of Kentish self-rule, at least in eastern Kent, but it is also possible that he was a Gawisson and then East Saxon puppet of some kind. That he was some sort of puppet can be inferred from hints of hostility to his memory found in the written sources. Specifically Bede, when writing about the accession of Whitred to the throne of Kent in 690, claims that Whitred liberated Kent from the rule of foreign invaders. Since Oswina seems to have had some claim to the throne, this comment seems somewhat odd. There are several possibilities, though. One is that Bede's sources were somehow biased against Oswina, possibly due to doubts about his legitimacy. Bede's main source for the Kentish history recorded in his Ecclesiastical History of the English People was Albinus, abbot of the monastery of Saints Peter and Paul in Canterbury. Albinus's testimony, then, may well reflect the sentiment of the church establishment in Kent, that Oswina was illegitimate. It's a bit unclear exactly how Oswina was descended from Aormenred, and this leaves open the possibility that Oswina was a pretender or was suspected of being so. Whitred, on the other hand, was the son of Edgbert, so he was the nephew of Hlodera and the brother of Eadrich. He was unquestionably then part of the now-dominant royal line. The hostility to Oswina doesn't need to have been based on any genuine evidence that he was an illegitimate king. His merely being part of a different branch of the royal line may have been enough to inspire hostility, since the line of Aorkenbert had by 688 been able to build up alliances with the nobility and the ecclesiastical hierarchy. These alliances would not appreciate a new king who may not favour them in the way that his predecessors had. It's also worth considering 
who the foreign invaders that B referred to were, since it seems very likely that they were the East Saxons. If the East Saxons had helped Cadwalla conquer and maintain control of Kent, and if Oswina ruled thanks to East Saxon support, then it's likely that some of the Kentish nobility saw him as a puppet. Remember, Eodrich didn't rule for that long before he was killed by Cadwalla, so we don't actually know how much popular support his South Saxon-backed coup would have had. Oswina, though, may suggest that the nobility of Kent would not take kindly to a king who was openly in collaboration with foreigners. When Whitred succeeded in 690, he initially ruled in partnership with Swaffherd, as is attested by a record of the election of Beotwald as Archbishop of Canterbury in 692, which refers to both Whitred and Swaffherd as kings of Kent. Thus, even though Whitred retrospectively had this reputation of being the king who forced out the foreign invaders, he didn't do so immediately. However, Swaffherd is never heard of again after 692, and this suggests that from some point between 692 and the issuing of Whitred's first charter in 694, in which he is the only king, Swaffherd died or was expelled, at which point Whitred became sole king of Kent. Whitred could thus be said in retrospect to have expelled the invaders from Kent. With the rise of Whitred to the sole kingship of Kent, the dark period of 686 to 692 was over. But with the benefit of hindsight, we know now that it was merely the final extended period of Kentish independence before the Mercian hegemony turned its eyes south to claim access to the port of London. Under Whitred, though, Kent would experience something of a resurgence which would establish him as a king second in prestige only to Athelbert. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Once again, I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and I hope you will join me again next time. This is Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts.